Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone on this new episode of Let's Talk AI. Today I am with Andy Petrella. Um, Andy, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty nicely. Actually, I'm, uh, I was uh, craving for this event uh, with you to happen. So I'm super happy to be here, especially after a daunting week in, uh, in the Data Bricks uh, Summit. Uh, it's going to be super refreshing to talk to you. Thanks a lot for inviting me to, to your episode. And thanks a lot for being here. I've seen a few posts of yours about uh, the summit and I will have uh, some questions about that. Uh, okay. I'll ask you uh, first question, um, Databricks or Snowflake? No, this is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all, Four. maybe <laughs> maybe so that people can um, know you a little bit better. Could you describe yourself in a, in a few sentences? Uh, who am I? Uh, Andy Petrella, as you said, right? So I'm Belgian, born and grown um, in Belgium, despite my names. Um, so I am a former mathematician, informatician, geomatician. Yeah, pick, pick your, uh, pick your uh, you know, preference. Um, geomatician was interesting because uh, that, year, that gave me the opportunity to work a lot in geospatial data. So very... Uh, late 90s early in the 2000s um, and back then this is where there, there was a lot of data already because each image you know satellite image was already big in itself right so i was already in a huge data set uh, before the era of big data um, which um, i have um how to say encountered let's say in the in the early 2010 but in my years in geomatics, what I have done is mainly working with, uh, with governments on, on this satellite and vector data um, until I found out that there were some great open source tools out there. Big data was, was becoming hot, right? So, and I picked one of the technologies that was interesting to me then. It was this technology that a few people know, Apache Spark. So very, very early. Uh, I had to download it, compile it, and then use it on the console um, because I was at some point pissed working in the console. I created something called the Spark Notebook, which became very popular uh, and became very popular so that actually I used to work in the Valley for a few years, training actually Spark developers. And after a few years doing this, I started a company uh, called Kensu in which I am uh, now still the owner and the chief product officer, uh, working on a data obsolete platform um, for, um, yeah, for data engineers and data teams out there. That's um, inspiring. <laughs> That's inspiring. And that also uh, means that I have so many things to ask you about uh, each part of your journey. So. So um, 
I was really looking forward to this episode to uh, discuss some key moments of uh, your uh, journey in the data field. Mm -hmm. um, it is okay. very interesting that you've been working with Spark since, Spark since the beginning uh, and your journey in the Valley uh, with uh, Spark Notebook um, is uh, for sure something uh, I would like to discuss. Um, maybe to, to, follow, to follow up on uh, this retrospective, Yeah. Um, what are your goals today and what are you trying to achieve with Kensu? Um, the cause of Kensu is, is very easy. So our mission is really to, to set standards, right? So data observability is a hot topic. It's also quite misleading. The word in itself is used for different stuff. Different companies are proposing something uh, uh, different from each other. So it's becoming a little bit cumbersome at some point to understand really what Uh, data observability um, is and can do for data teams, right? So in Kensu, our mission is to make sure that first we are one of the pioneers and we are establishing our uh, reputation in that sense, which gives us the opportunity to set standards um, in, two, in two different um, areas. First, to help ecosystem, the whole data ecosystem to become data observable. So this is one of the components of data observability. There is a really an ecosystemic, uh, sorry, ecosystemic um, piece uh, there. So all the different companies and tools must become data observable. And there is a platform, which is our second uh, mission and our vision uh, that is there in order to ensure data teams to always trust what they deliver. And there is potentially a sub-question is, what do data teams deliver? Hmm. Hmm. I will definitely ask you about data observability and uh, and uh, and all these topics. Um, and and you've mentioned your career. You've mentioned key moments of uh, of uh, your career and and your journey. But maybe if you if we could do this uh, brief retrospective of uh, the key moments, even though you've went to through some very fast, uh, yeah. I, I would love to 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 hear about that. Yeah. Um, one key moment, so I have th three phases, right? So the GIS, right? Just, just um, spatial information systems, mm -hmm. uh, then big data, big AI, whatever, uh, with Spark and the Spark Notebook and after Kensu. So there was always a moment where I switched from one to the other. Um, so when I was in just spatial, what was really interesting is so there are two components. Um, first, Um, I was working with a lot of data, but with proprietary systems, right? Which was, they were actually pretty interesting to work on, but we cannot really talk about them. And it was, they were also quite um, aging over time, right? So we were on a JVM working with things like Terracoda. I don't even know, I don't even know if this, this thing is still existing. So that's something that can actually create a one JVM across multiple machines and stuff like that in order to really Uh, handle a lot of data in memory, um, which is somehow uh, what uh, Spark has done differently afterwards. And actually, I was seeing that we were reaching somehow end of something, right? So I had to look uh, beyond that. So that's one thing. So that triggered me, okay, we are reaching in the end of something. Something has will happen for sure. We have learned so much. So what it is. The second thing is that will help me later on is I, because I have worked in GIS and geospatial and stuff like that, as I said, 
I've been working a lot with different governments, right? Um, sharing a lot of private and sensitive information across countries, boundaries, etc., across languages, right? Across, um, how to say, habits and uh, and philosophy even between countries, right? And this actually helped me understanding what data governance is for, right? I mean, not. Not everything, but there are a few pieces that actually helped me really understand uh, some areas of data governance and its impact on a, a large ecosystem such as uh, the geospatial world. So that was interesting uh, because, you know, geospatial information is something that is taken on the earth, but the earth itself is broken down in pieces hmm. with languages, etc. right? But it's still the earth. It's still one thing. Right, people need information across boundaries in order to do their work. Right, it's not because France and Belgium are actually really well delimited. Right, that someone in the boundary of France doesn't need information from Belgium in order to do their work. Right, the herb is still one piece. Um, so therefore, I learned a lot about um, uh, communication, about data, metadata. It was a really hot topic. Right back then, semantic data analysis, right, in order to understand what a Italian pe- person is asking to a uh, English person uh, who needs some data coming from Netherlands, right? So how to really make sure that we are addressing the right question with the right answers? So these are all plenty of questions that were that were driving uh, my daily work, right, which helped me later on. So because these two things were competing at some point. Um, I decided to look around, so not look anymore into my own system in just just patient only that was very well standardized over time, etc. It's like you know a, a silo on the in the technology ecosystem. So I decided to look you know outside of the box, if I may say. Um, and this is where I, I I've discovered Spark. So I've been to a lot of meetups, right? Trying to understand first, you know, what is big data. Over time, I, you know, discovered that big data was nothing but just distributed computing, right? Okay, fine. Uh, so, what are the technologies that I can use uh, without money? Um, so, therefore, open source. So, I started uh, looking around a lot of the uh, open source tools, and I uh, therefore uh, started using Spark because, well, uh, let's be honest, right? Spark. Why Spark? Because I could start using Spark within minutes in a way right so building it of course etc take a bit of time but after some point you know i could uh, just start the shell, the shell and then write a few a few comments and i could actually process data um so that was actually the trigger it was not about memory consumption fast or whatsoever it was really about the ease and this is where i started to understand you know the value uh, for engineers of a product like the, the ease of use is super important on other uh, for an engineer to pick up something. Um, so that was also an interesting discovery. Um, so I decided, okay, this is going to be my job now. So I'm going to use this thing and I will have the, the companies um, uh, with, with, uh, with needs um, re- regarding computing um, uh, metrics or whatever on large data sets. So that was really early, right? So 2010. So not a lot of uh, companies here uh, were um, really interested in doing this or, you know, mature enough, uh, but a few startups were, right? So I started working in startups, right? Which was new to me too, 
right? So discover, you know, velocity, you know, uh, uh, of work and um, and um, and agile a little bit better. So um, this to say that at some point I had to deliver a lot of stuff on Spark, which was really immature also. And we were working mainly on the console. So it was not easy anymore to deliver something from the console, right? Mm -hmm. So something kind of clicked in my mind, like, okay, we need a product. So what is a product, right? And I started working on the, on the Spark Notebook in order to help the community doing something. Um, so that was a pretty nice trigger. Uh, so I learned about the technology, but also about how to build a community of users. And, and finally, I would say the last key point, the important key point was uh, when I had a large community of users on the Spark Notebook, right? I discovered what they were doing with it, right? Hmm. So mainly, you know, it was back in 2014-15, so almost 10 years ago now, right? So people were really looking at Spark plus a notebook as an application that goes into production. Mm -hmm. Right. So nowadays it's kind of there with, with notebooks and data bricks, et cetera. But 10 years ago, it was so far from there. And still we have, we have the, the, the issue with data bricks, but I will come back to that later. So basically I was saying, okay, guys, actually you're deploying dozens of notebooks somehow in production. Um, there is no test. There is no logs. There is no versioning. There is no packaging. There is nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is not going to happen. Right. So basically you're deploying something right in production, um, delivering values one way or another, but you have basically no visibility on it. Right. And this is kind of, um, of, of a trigger for me because first I discovered that there was no governance whatsoever, technical IT and data governance. Right. So I looked around what we could do. And, um, and uh, this is what actually stim stimulated my, my reflection around, okay, what exists in one word, let's say the technical non-data environment, and what can be transferred into the data environment. And this is where I, I, I started thinking about a, another product, right? Um, which is nowadays um, Kensu. Hmm. Wow. That... Uh... That retrospective is awesome. And I think the first thing that I would like to ask is um, what is Spark Notebook? Uh, could we say Spark Notebook is the father of Databricks? <laughs> hmm. uh, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a sensitive subject. I wouldn't say that the Spark Notebook is the, is the genesis, let's of Databricks, because we kind of started at the same time because the, the Databricks founder, Ali Gotzi, Ian Stoika, and Matei are super, super smart. And the whole team, right? It's not only them, right? So they saw, of course, that there is something needed in order to accelerate development and the usage of the, of the Spark tool, right? Uh, the thing is that they were building a, a, a company. We need it right away, you know, in the community. So there is the open source or the, or the, um, the, 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 the company, the startup uh, fashion, right? Um, just to mention, the Databricks initially didn't deliver the notebook um, in a community edition, so it was closed, right? So no one could really access them uh, unless you were, you know, a potential prospect, a customer. 
but the Spark community was still building, right? So I would say that we have discovered pretty much the same need at the same time, right? And we have taken different paths. Uh, the thing is that I didn't create a, start, a startup on the Spark notebook itself, right? Because, because at the end of the day, it's more infrastructure and web, web development. And I'm not a sysops, not a web developer. I'm a data miner, data engineer, right? I knew that this was not something that I would spend 20 years on, for instance. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I started that way. For instance, also the Spy Notebook was a kind of a fork of Jupyter, right? A fork on Jupyter with a dedicated interface for Spark, with a dedicated kernel and stuff like that, right? So uh, I knew also that I wouldn't add Python, R, and any other languages. So therefore, Jupyter, IPython before, actually it was not called Jupyter yet, IPython uh, will actually stay out there and create a huge community that I don't want to compete with. So um, it's not a genesis, right? So we started at the same time, but different fashion. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. I wanted to make this uh, this, uh, fun, this fun question, but it is really interesting to see that um, both of... Um, both of the vision were created at the same time around uh, around around Spark, and very interesting to see how you you've taken different different paths. So so you've mentioned you've been mentioning data governance and observability, and it is very funny how you mentioned that people in the time were deploying things in production with no visibility, no um, um, uh, lineage. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, like tracking versions and and monitoring everything. So so you're the author of uh, two two O'Reilly's book that have been published. Uh, if, I, if if that's correct, and one of them is observability. Uh, the other is uh, about data governance. That's correct. Yeah, two reports. Yes. I would like to to ask you about those reports. Um, and and when you mentioned data observability. Can you maybe introduce us a bit about uh, what is data observability today, how it have evolved, mm. and maybe some insights that you share in the report? Yeah, okay. Um, so there are three pieces, right? So there is what is data governance, what is data observability. That I have written what is data governance in 2020. I believe it was around COVID. Uh, 2021, I believe, uh, what is data observability. And, and this year, I have finished the uh, fundamentals of data observability at the rally. So it's going to be published in September. Um, so how it evolved, right? So I, I have um, started thinking about what we do in data observability around 2015, right? Okay. So when I discovered this, okay, there is something needed, right? So I always have this in mind. I want people to trust what they deliver, right? Mm -hmm. A data team, what they deliver. But I'm going to ask you a quick question first. So what do data team deliver? Hmm, this is a question for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so from my point of view, um, data team delivers value that is actionable to take real action. And it have to be trustful enough so that the actions I'm going to take are going to have an impact, or at least I'm going to prove that uh, an hypothesis was wrong. This is what I would define. Okay, this is their goals, but what do they deliver? All right, what do they deliver? They deliver KPIs, segmentations, classification, clustering, to have a better understanding of the ecosystem, I guess. Okay, okay. so basically you mean that they are delivering 
data. Yeah. Right. However, in reality, they don't deliver data. They deliver something that builds data. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't create data by hand. You don't create a model by hand. You don't create the data source, the, the data in Delta tables, Snowflake, my, MySQL, whatever, manually. Mm -hmm. You deliver something that will build the data, right? Mm -hmm. So technically, what do data teams deliver, right? Is something that creates data, right? And that's what they have to trust because if they don't trust it, they cannot trust what they create, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So that was always my motto, right? Okay, so I want people to trust what they have deployed, right? Because this is the generator of the value, right? So... When I would think about, I was, I was starting thinking about what needs to be done for data teams, I was thinking about this thing, right? So the application, the pipeline, whatever is deployed in order to generate the data. And um, I started looking at um, what happens in IT. So I transferred it into data and I was, starting, I was actually calling this data activity management. How do we manage data activities? Because an application performs data activity, right? Um, and therefore, um, so the first definition that I had about data um, activity management that became data observability over time, and I think it's a very great name, but anyway, it's really managing data activities, right? Um, was a um, making sure that actually applications are delivering information about what they do with the data, right? Hmm. So you have something that is deployed and this thing tells you right away what it does with the data and what the data looks like, right? This thing, um, so that an observer can look at it, right? So that was, the, that was one of the first uh, uh, definitions that I have provided back then. Rewind a little bit, right? So why did I start with uh, why did I start with uh, data governance? Because it was an area that well that was well established, right? That was an easy way for me to explain why this is important. Because lineage was there, uh, lineage lineage we didn't know, right? So was there very important for data governance because of CCP and GDPR, right? So that was an easy way for me to explain why, you know. We need to continue in this fashion and increasing the amount of information that are available for people to understand what's going on with the data, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a pathway to get there. Nowadays, the way I'm simplifying the definition or the explanation about data observability is data observability is one component of a observable system, right? So you have a system, right? And it has to be to become observable, that means that from the external world, you can look at it and understand what's going on, right? So and for a system to become observable, there is not only the information about what it does with the data that is needed, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you may have problem with the data because the system itself is in jeopardy, right? Because you don't have enough memory, you don't have enough capacity, you don't have enough time, right? Um, so therefore, in order to understand really how this system is behaving and observing from the outside world, right, you need several components. So you need you have the application component, you have the infrastructure component, you have the user and purpose component, you have the AI analytics component, and one of them is the data component, right? And everything is like touching each other, right? Because observing data means that you also observe the infrastructure, right? Observing uh, application means that you also observe the analytics performed by the applications, right? 
So basically, data observability cannot be defined on its own. You have to put it into its context, which is the whole observability. What you need to do with data observability and all the other observability components is to make sure that when you put something in production, you can go off the path. And you know you're going to sleep, you know, um, eight to eight, whatever you, 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 you sleep, right? Um, so you don't, you don't, you're not afraid anymore about being waked up, right? Because something goes wrong. Um, especially now that data is used around the globe and then you, we start seeing um, night shifts. So you know what night shifts are, right? So basically people are staying up night just in case something go wrong, right? So let's say that I have a strong team, I don't know, in Bangalore that has developed some pipelines, right? So these pipelines will be used, I don't know, by someone in Canada, right? But I don't know, seven, years, seven hours, 10 hours after, whatever, right? So basically they will be sleeping, right? But if this team doesn't have anything that explains how the application work, right? They have to support the, the other team in Canada when something goes wrong. So therefore they have to be up, um, uh, all night. And we have to, as the data team itself, to stay up night. Why? Because they cannot tell anybody else how to manage this thing, how to monitor it, and how to handle the different problems. Because there is no information produced by the application automatically, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the piece that I wanted to, uh, to solve, and that's the piece that data observability uh, helps solving. That's awesome. The, the, the first things I would like to ask about data observability is um, I have a lot of concepts that comes into mind right away. I'm thinking, first of all, in MLOps right now, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the concept of data mesh, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm thinking about data catalogs. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would like to say it is maybe a big, too big question, like to, to, to relate the three topics, but um, could we say that observability is MLOps on the entire infrastructure, the entire data and everything you have that you need to visualize, first of all? So, um, so MLOps, right? MLOps, there is a component which is analytics observability, as I call it, right? So MLOps is about making sure that you can go fast in productions, you know, CICD tests, you know, automation, et cetera, et cetera. And there is one piece which is observability, making sure that the model becomes observable, right? Which is for me more in the analytics observability, right? But the model can go wrong because the data go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, you cannot actually observe the model, you know, and making sense of the observation if you cannot relate this to some data observability, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So you need both information. Otherwise, you're limited. You're limiting your context to only, you know. Oh, okay. My accuracy go down. So what? Okay. What do I do now? Right? It's not only visualized, but it's analyzing. Right? Mm -hmm. So an observer. I mean, an observer is actually someone that has enough information at hand to take decisions. Mm. Right. 
Yes, and this might be perfect to this for the transition to data catalog. And you were right to 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 specify that MLOps one part of it is uh, this aspect of observability, but it have mm -hmm. more things into it. Now speaking about data catalogs, so let's say I have data governance and I have tools that can allow me to um, to understand what's be like the historical the historic of the tables the historic of the data and all of this mm -hmm. so would the next step be that i go into a data catalog to understand or like how do you relate data catalog to observability okay um so catalogs there is a long story history for data catalogs right so i was working in data catalogs the semantic part that i was working on you know, almost 20 years ago now, uh, is, is it was, yeah, a data catalog. So it's it's worth mentioning that in geospatial, a data catalog is standardized, right? So it's there is standards for everything, right? So the API, the queries, whatever you have to do, the metadata are standardized, right? So, and then this has been the case for 35 years, right? Even then, it's still a mess, hmm. right? Everything is standardized, but it's still a mess, right? Because... There is something that has always been missing in any or most of the catalogs, let's say at least, right, is the data usage context. So we tell about the, the information, the metadata, so what the data is, but what the data is used for, as how it has been produced, for what reason, etc., has always been missing, right? Mm. So that's a piece where you know data observability helps data governance with data catalogs. Data governance is not equal to data catalog, but helps data catalog improving the whole governance and the whole uh, understanding uh, and uh, lever and uh, and uh, smoothen the way uh, data can be used internally by also providing what I call the context. Right, the context is. What I have, what I was talking about, right? So where the data is being used, why, how, how often, you know, uh, how often? So how often in terms of different applications, different proposes, right? What are the different uh, subset of the data that are used, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is the context, right? That has to be shared uh, with data catalogs in order to not only allow people to look around and find uh, customer data, right? But look around and find um, segmental uh, segmentation, you know, uh, pr um, uh, efficient customer data, right? So you don't look for customer data that are used for invoicing. You look for customer information that allow you to segment your 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 users, which is beyond, of course, invoicing. It's going to be a user journey in the website. It's going to be behavior, it's going to be a biometry, depending where you are, right? So these are the different components uh, that are um, that will be more and more embraced by data catalogs in order to become a, let's say, data usage catalog. And this is where I see the relationship with data mesh because over time we may have a data catalog and a data product catalog, right? Um, so a data as a product or data product uh, catalog. So therefore, um, if we know what data mesh is or proposes, right, we know that data, uh, a data mesh, a data product catalog will not only tell you what the data is, right, but also what's its current um, status, where it has been used, how it has been built, et cetera, et cetera, because it's a product, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, um, and if we want to have this at scale, right, we need to be able to have this kind of information around the context automatized. It needs to be provided by the thing that builds the data, hmm. right? Hmm. And that's what I call data observable because you automatize, you provide information, so you don't need someone to actually go somewhere and write documentation or write, you know, hard code stuff somewhere that, okay, we use this data, we use this film, uh, we have a consume so much data in general, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this needs to be automatized. Otherwise, you always rely on people to build more um, and more product, right? Uh, therefore, you need more and more people too, right? So in order to have something sustainable, you need to optimize uh, these things that are you know, cumbersome uh, uh, with value, right? But people can generate much more value than actually write documentation and, uh, and control things over time. Hmm. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, it makes total sense. And uh, I want you to map this, uh, those concepts to that observability and, and, uh, and um, I see uh, their place. Um, I think that my next question to you, and you mentioned scalability, and this is funny because uh, uh, you just assisted, you were present at the um, AI Summit um, if, yeah. of Databricks. Data, uh, data and AI Summit, yeah. So my question is, you've, you've, you've mentioned um, scalability. And you've been to this summit, so I would like to ask you first of all, how was the summit? I mean, not uh, not in a not in a deep uh, deep way, but um, how was it? Maybe some some key things, mm -hmm. and maybe how does those projects maybe more focus on Databricks or Snowflake, or maybe how you compare? But how does those products relate to data observability and scaling? Yeah. So first, the the event was. Awesome, right? So um, 12,000 people, you know, um, like-minded, right? So um, so we had the booth, we had many, many people uh, coming to us, asking uh, questions around data observability, etc. So that was great. So we could explain how can you work, so and how different we are from the others, for instance. That was a perfect moment. So I would say that uh, it's the very first event where I don't feel the COVID anymore. Right, so people are very open as they used to be before 2020. Yeah, and um, and I've been in the Spark Summit since 2014, so I see also you know the evolution. So we yeah. were like 250 in the center of San Francisco, up to 2000 in uh, yeah nine years basically. That's actually uh, uh, impressive, and it doesn't surprise me because these people are very good. So they know their stuff. They know what they're doing. Right. So um, the one thing that has um, the two things that were very Im important for me and interesting to me, the first thing is because first it has been driven by a friend of mine, Denny, uh, which is the, uh, the, the real open source of data tables and the final delivery of this um, uh, uniform. So I don't know if you saw it, right? So the capacity to build metadata for the free systems. So that, you know, that explains how open Databricks is, right? and how, uh, how they can actually improve an ecosystem. Um, they did it with Spark and they continue with MLflow. They did it after with Delta Lake and uh, with uh, the, the Lake Houses system, the Delta Lake tables, and now with this thing, right? So that's actually uh, uh, reflects the soul of this company. Uh, the second thing is the Lake House IQ, 
right? So, which was uh, also quite expected from this company, right? Because again, they know their stuff. But the Lakewest Lakehouse IQ is so in line with my vision around what we can do with data and especially with LMs recently um, that I was I was um, um, very uh, happy to see it coming together. Well, it's gonna take time to actually land uh, really, but actually seeing these ideas of putting in front of so many people claiming we're gonna do this, right? That's a great statement. Actually, this is super um, uh, exciting to me. So, um, a Lakehouse IQ, right? So, for people who may not have heard of it, right, is basically a system that learns about the company, right? It learns about the company. It takes information from different systems, uh, corporate documents, uh, from data, from uh, whatever, in order to really attach meaning to data and therefore also meaning to questions and therefore uh, um, uh, return valuable data, right? And actionable data, right? Um, so very in, in a few sentences. And, you know, Kensui means sustainable knowledge. That means that the knowledge of the company remains in the company. The knowledge of the company remains in the company and is not gone because people leave, right? Or because people may not have, you know, done the right stuff in order to, to keep the, the, the knowledge in the company. And that's what they're doing. Basically, because now everything that people are doing, which is in a way data governance, right, is included into the context that is going to be used by, uh, by uh, Databricks. And I'm super happy because they have a lot of observability uh, features on there, right? The one thing that is still missing, we're providing it. We are a Databricks partner. So that actually, so that uh, just told me, look, actually, there is a great partnership ahead of us and some very interesting years of collaboration. And, uh, and I'm really craving for the first, you know, CEOs to ask, okay, just give me, you know, um, what is the financial, the, what is the projection of the, 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 the next quarter of financials based on the information? And the CEO uh, will just believe what the system tells them. So, tells them. So, um, it's going to take time, right? Um, and for this belief, this to happen and this belief to happen too, right? We need to make sure that whatever is delivered is trustable, right? And uh, well, basically, I saw that, uh, you know, uh, they were doing things that I didn't have heard before, right? And that was refreshing. There was not, oh, we're going to deploy LLMs. Oh, they're already one step ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still thinking about what you just mentioned. My mind is a bit... Um challenged <laughs> um no it's, it's 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 so it's so interesting that i was saying uh, uh, i was thinking literally how good of an infrastructure companies need to have for that to be a possibility i'm a ceo and mm -hmm. i go into my computer and mm -hmm. i open the command and i say all right what is my prediction for next month mm -hmm. what are my whatever i want to know yeah. And the system will just automatically, I would assume that there is a big part played by LLMs here, but I would assume, yeah, how good does an infrastructure needs to be? And like being, um, having a lot of visibility on this, 
how what is the gap between how good should infrastructures be with, uh, compared to how the infrastructures of um, a lot of companies are and what are the challenges that you that you see the most with that observability and this kind of uh, of hope and intention yeah. to 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 execute this uh, type of um, technology and requests so um I'm going to make a relationship with something called process mining. Right. So I don't know if you know what process mining is. No, right? Okay. Process mining is very interesting. So you look at companies such as Celonis and stuff like that, right? Yes. These companies are taking audit information from, uh, you know, queues at, the, at, the, at the, the reception. So a lot of audit information and try to rebuild the processes, you know, how people are behaving and what are the different steps that needs to be taken. Right. So that means that by having enough information around some path, right, you can kind of rebuild it without having anything that tells you that this path is actually the one. Right. And afterwards, you can optimize that. Right. The thing is that the audits are actually telling you things that have happened. Right. So you cannot claim that they didn't happen. Say they have happened. Right. And if they happen often enough. Right. That means that it works. Right. It doesn't mean that it works efficiently, optimally, but people are getting in and it works, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something like that that we can actually translate into data and AI with these LLMs, right? Basically, what you need, what we need in order to achieve this, so that's my, so I'm not in the in the in the secret of these companies, but you know, I'm kind of uh, uh, in 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 um, how to say, not inferring, but uh, interpolating here, right? So what we need to do is to track what is done with the data, right? So if you have data teams that deploy some production about forecasts, et cetera, and the report that is built on it, right? I use very often. And you have information about actions being taken and you know which actions were taken. And you know that the same action is very often taken, et cetera. Therefore, statistically, these things are getting importance into the context. For LM, this is super important. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of weight right in the yes. space. Mm -hmm. Therefore, right. By having enough information about all these things, you, you think about it like a, a probabilistic graph. Right. So mm -hmm. if you see all these things happening, right, the, the upper probability is, uh, is pretty good that something can be proposed. Right. So that's basically what we need to do. So in order to do this, not only we need data about our customers, but we need also data about what we do internally with the data of our customers, mm -hmm. right? And with this, you know, you know, ChatGPT, you know, you know now, you know how much we can achieve, you know, with with these kinds of uh, of of models, um, you know, such as GANs and and noise denoise uh, models. Yeah. Does it make sense to you? The, the does it relate to you or? Yeah, it totally relates. I'm thinking on the of the pieces of that and like how to build them. <laughs> look at Unity. So that's great. So you look at Databricks Unity, what they want to do with it, right? So basically it becomes a context database. Mm -hmm. It's not a data catalog per se. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's a context database. Yeah, and I truly uh, understand how the weight of the systems and like how often do they repeat themselves and like if you define specific metrics to 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 know the quality and like all these kind of things then you can automatically generate a, a piece that that understand your entire system and evaluate weights and can tell you 
what makes more sense. Um, sure. yeah, the quality is a big piece, right? So maybe I can interrupt you just yes. real quick on the quality, right? Um, the, the quality, so we talk a lot about data quality, right? So which, yeah. is, which is something that is very hard to achieve, right? Um, 100%, right? So here, so I'm thinking about data quality, like statistical, statistical modeling, right? Yes. And context aware, you know, uh, machine learning, right? As machine learning, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, data quality, so as so something like data observability and stuff like that, right? So basically, when you have enough information, enough patterns, enough, uh, um, let's say, correlation or, or, or actions that are correlated to others, etc., right? And you know what are the outcomes of each action, right? Then you can see if there are outliers or not, right? It doesn't mean that you cannot, you shouldn't be doing any data quality, right? Yeah. But it means that if with with everybody in a company that uses data, right? Imagine how often, you know, and how much information you have about how the data is behaving, how the data is being used, etc. Right? With this amount of information, it's gonna be much easier to detect you know, statistically, you know, when something is actually off track. Right. Instead of applying and asking, okay, define your KPIs, your business queries, your business, uh, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because I'm going to tell you what, right? People just don't know, and and uh, even AI will not know because actually AI, you know, at this point, right, requires uh, a lot of information to be able to predict that. And guess what? What did, what needs AI in order to predict that is the context. So this is exactly what we're talking about. So. Without this information, we cannot actually uh, leverage uh, AI for, for data quality checking, let's say. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, I would like to ask you about Delta Lake. Uh, yeah. How does Delta Lakes fits in? Maybe if you can do yeah, a brief explication of, uh, of Delta Lakes and, mm -hmm. and how important Delta Lakes are. Um, because one of the questions I will do after that is like, at what point of my company can I start thinking data observability? I mean, I would assume that you think from the start, but for you to be able to apply it, you need to have a certain amount of pipelines, data, and maybe you have maybe like like market fit or I don't know, but this is a question for, for, for one step further, but maybe can we talk about uh, Delta yes. Lake? So, um... So Dela Lake or Lake House, right? So yeah. Uh, so there are two questions, like so Dela Lake, Lake House, and and the future of a Lake House, right? Let's say the future of data somehow, right? And on the other side is when do we start data observability, right? With there are two 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 sub questions, uh, yes. Two two sub answers also there. So first, Lake House. So Lake House is. It's a replacement for data warehouse where you know you model everything. So you take just okay, give me the data, and then you process in several stages until you provide uh, uh, some serving uh, ready um, data, whatever it's files or, or database. Okay. So um, so currently, and for the five to fifteen years, I know the range is pretty big, but it's hard for me to really have a better gut feeling than that. I believe that it still makes sense, right? But, but data is becoming more and more everything, 
right? So especially if we start applying LLMs and stuff like that, right? So therefore, for me, over time, right, um, I don't see why we have two different systems. One for the operation, for the business, etc. And then we have another system that takes this out, right? And then start doing the data stuff, right? So I just see on one thing, especially with streaming, with the capacity that we have now, the, the power, the computation power, I mean, and etc. right? I just see one thing is that we kind of, at some point, we merge everything back together, right? Is that the lake house is no longer needed, right? Because we have the power and we have actually the data mindset already embedded into the business application, especially if you apply something like data mesh, right? So therefore, what is the need of something like that if data analytics and data uh, transactional are actually nothing but somehow the same thing, right? Mm. I'm not saying that it's going to be, you know, very soon, right? But what's the point of that, right? Mm. So the point is we cannot actually do analytics directly on the operational database because otherwise we're going to put them down, right? Or we want to be able to clean them, et cetera, et cetera, right? But if these databases are already serving data products, right? Therefore, we shouldn't actually think about cleaning the data afterwards. They should have been cleaned already there, right? Mm. So why do we actually decouple things? So that's actually my, 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 my vision that probably, yeah. So let's say average 10 years. Right. And things go fast, maybe five. Um, so, so I don't know if that makes sense to you. So basically, yeah. you have only one system. Yeah. Just to, um, before you, you go on the, on the second point, to, to make sure I, I understand correctly. So we had the data warehouse where we had like all the operational data and everything. Then we went from the Delta Lake where we can have all kind of data that arrives there. We have uh, then the concept of Delta Lake um, uh, that arrives. Uh, so to me, it's different. But maybe if you have like some some keynotes about how different, like what are the differences between the data, the lake house and the Delta Lake. Uh, but if I understand what you're saying is that in 10, 15 years, there will be new concepts that that get everything and get values out of um, all this kind of storage, right? Yeah, so, so okay, maybe I can rewind a little bit. So the thing is that nowadays there is OLTP and OLAP. And yep. this has been the case forever, right? So um, mm -hmm. for three years, right? Um, so we have the transactional database. It can be Snowflake, it can be whatever, so where the source are. So this is where SAP is, where Snowflake are, et cetera, et cetera, right? So these are the transactional, the, the, the business world. And then there is the OLAP, which is Lake House, Snowflake, whatever. And what I mean is, so Delta Lake is just, you know, you, you have the bronze, et cetera, right? Bronze, silver, gold, right? So there is a Delta, so you, um, so you migrate the data from one side to the other because you clean, because you refine, and then finally you build the final model that can be served, right? Efficiently, right? Uh, for, for data, for data products. Thing is, these data products, right, yeah. are business applications. So they should somehow be part of the RTP, right? But we rely on OLAP for this, right? So there is a long chain of duplication, processing, etc. where we are deploying something there, right, where the data is not refined, apparently, because we have to refine it. So this doesn't make sense anymore when data is becoming one of the source of, um, of, uh, of competition, and uh, and uh, and the business, you know, uh, uh, decision uh, being taken upon, right? So I mean that okay, Delta Lake, Lake House, 
Snowflake, Data Warehouse, all these things are great, right? But I believe that they will be merged back in, you know, uh, some either the different um, applications out there, SAP, SIS, whatever, right? So they will uh, uh, be able to, um, to, to compute internally or the application that will be built on top of it uh, will have already some of the components that are are um, in the in the OLAP nowadays. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's what I mean there. Okay, uh, and yeah, they may not disappear, but they will be embedded. Let's All say. right, I see. Okay, awesome. And uh, and so regarding the the second point that you mentioned about like at what point can I apply data observability? Uh, and uh, I mean, I would assume that we need to have it in mind, but like from what you've seen with your clients and, and, and your own perspective, like how how much your company needs to be to apply data observability? <clears throat> so um, the, the question actually hides other questions, right? Or other ideas, right? So at what point do we need to apply data observability? Means that applying data observability is hard, right? Because if it's easy, why would you wait? Right. So just, just a moment on that. So at what point, right, do you start adding logs into your application? So that's a question for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an application, I would say at the beginning, right, right at the beginning. Right. The observability is nothing but actually logging specific stuff about what you do. Right. So actually, the patterns, the habits and everything that is related to making your data applications, your applications data observable. Right, is right away. It doesn't mean that because you have adding a few lines of logs that you have acquired data docs, Splunk, Elastic, or primitives, right? Mm -hmm. So it's only when, okay, I'm going to put these things in production and okay, so now I need to have a system because I have more than two people in my team and I need to do this and I need to do that, etc. Then you start thinking, wait, now I need a platform in order to aggregate all this information so that I'm not a bottleneck anymore for the company, etc., etc. This is the point where you need a data observability platform, right? But when you start data observability, is right now. Is yeah. she, actually, in a way, you have already started, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the platform requires, you know, it's, it's like that, that's normal, right? So it requires some of these underlying, uh, um, uh, what to say, inefficiencies, let's say, or, or pain points to, to, to show up. So that okay now it's enough. I don't. I, I cannot log in the machine anymore and watch at uh, you know log files and grab and send whatever, right? So that's that's yeah. over now. So I, I cannot do this because I have to explain this to uh, Laura, my coworker, to do the same thing as I do. You know, so that's not possible anymore. So that's where actually you think about adding something that will aggregate information, right? First and actually help you figure out faster where the problem may be. Not only you because you know that, but also other people, right? Yeah. So remain, coming back to the notion of uh, this, this story with the Bangalore team and the Canadian uh, user, we can reverse, it doesn't matter. But uh, actually, we want the Bangalore team to actually sleep overnight, right? Because they have made their data uh, the application data observable. And there is a team, I don't know, in Belgium, right? That has to just use the data diversity platform to understand what's going on and potentially help in the first service level one and two when there is a problem with the Canadian team. Right mm -hmm. or some some team in the, in the U.S. Right, so that's actually the two components. Right, so first data observable, just do it. Right, it's it can be easy. It can it's easy in Python. It's easy in Spark. It's uh, 
it's uh, it should be easy with any tool that you use, right? And that's where I was saying right at the beginning that our mission and vision in Kensu is to help setting standards so that every company and every SaaS application and every framework um, made their stuff actually data observable, right? Pretty much like it has happened with lineage information, right? You know that nowadays most of the technology out there has an API in order to have an API in order to provide information about lineage, right? Yeah. Let's extend it to metrics, to uh, context, etc. Right. So that's the piece that is missing. And when you have this, you will actually discover uh, relatively quickly, you know, that the data observability platform is is relevant uh, because, well, basically you offload some of your work, some of your uh, concerns and anxiety to this platform that is tracking actually that some stuff are not happening. So that's hmm. actually the statement. Hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense. Thanks for explaining it so well. <laughs> um, I was thinking something you said uh, right at the beginning. Uh, you mentioned tests, testing. Um, mm -hmm. So let's say we're speaking about an application. Um, what do you, what do you recommend people in terms of prioritizing? Let's say I haven't reached market fit. Let's say I'm building new features. We're on this going for it. We're building new features, but we're also generating logs and, and, and trying to install this. But like, how do you prioritize both? And like, how do you go about prioritizing? Maybe not getting into details, but in general. Uh so, okay, so there is a kind of, a, okay, the question is about the test or using a, using the observability platform, right? Hmm. So the test made me record it about, like the test is the reason why I ask in the first place, but okay, okay. Uh, would I, I would ask more generally in terms of. Uh... Okay, okay, so I will, I will try to follow the same pattern. Um, tests, when do you start writing tests in application? The beginning. The beginning, really? I mean, <laughs> maybe a bit later on. Maybe okay. after. Maybe after. Let's say after the proof of concept and and the few first users. There you go. So that's the same thing, generally, right? So with data. So actually, why you do this? Because it's not worth putting a lot of effort in in making sure that everything works properly, etc. If you don't know, it's gonna be used. You accelerate yeah. your time to value just to make sure that it's there, right? It doesn't mean that test-driven development doesn't is not is not relevant, right? It's still super relevant, right? It doesn't mean that you have to use everything, you know, in the test-driven development. You can take some pieces, right, and then you can apply them at later stage, for mm -hmm. instance, right? You know that you're gonna have uh, some technical debt, right? But time is time is money, especially when you are initiating a new a new product, etc. Right. So that's the thing, right? And if we think about data product as products, right? Every product has to go in production you know, uh, fairly early in order to test it, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you know that expectations, right, are not very well uh, defined, so they don't know exactly what they want, or how they're going to be using it, etc. So that's where actually you want to go fast, and only after, when you have defined some boundary conditions, you start testing, right? Okay. That's actually how we work. And then that's fair, right? Um, thing is that with data testing, right, so it's pretty hard. So what means data testing, right? So in my opinion, data testing can be composed, decomposed into things. So data testing is functionality testing based on data. You test that your functionality 
worked as expected given certain data sets, right? So it's a, a priori and you check the a posteriori is fine, right? <clears throat> so you don't test the data. You test that your logic is actually clean. It respects, it respects your uh, business logic and it respects the expectation of your users given a certain condition, right? It's like given data. Um, however, data, data change all the time and expectations change all the time and decisions that want to be taken are changing over time, right? So these things cannot be tested. You cannot test something you have not seen, right? Or you have to test everything, right? So there, are, so there is something in the, in the middle, right? That I, that we can also introduce later on, right? So I came with the idea of data observability development, pretty much like test-driven development. I don't mean that we need to apply data observability-driven development that I still have to define properly, by the way, um, uh, you know, like full concepts, like you don't deploy anything if you don't have data observability that has driven their own development, right? But there are some components that are interesting, right? First, create a bunch of logs, right? That allow you to do one thing first, as soon as you can, Right, it doesn't mean uh, at, the, at the beginning. Test in production, right? So you know CI/CD, right? So continuous integration, continuous deployment, right? So if you integrate in the main branch that gets deployed into production, it's because you know that your logic is fine. So you tested it, right? It's okay to go to production. You're happy with it. The thing is that you will never be happy with the data because it will change in production. So there is an expansion to it that I call, that I call continuous validation. So continuous integration, deployment, and then you continuously validate in production what you want to validate, right? And this validation piece is because of the data is changing all the time, right? We can argue that well, infrastructure can change also, etc. That's true, right? But this is fundamental of data, right? So no data will come actually similar, right? So, um, and there is so much dependency with third parties nowadays with data, right? So therefore, you know, you generate a lot of, of stuff. The few expectations that you have about the data patterns that you expect to have, you actually put them there. Like, if you don't expect to have more than 3% of node values, you just put in production that you check that there is no more than 3% of node values, right? If you clean the data because you're removing, you know, a misplaced address or whatever, right? you check that you're not dumping out, you know, I don't know, 55% of the data set, right? So you're not disrupting the data set, but you're cleaning only a portion of it. Things like that. These are your expectations, right? That you can actually accumulate more and more stuff coming from the, 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 the production behavior, right? Coming from business users, etc. So these are your continuous validation and production, right? So that's the, the thing really that, that can be done, right? Um, and if there are some stuff that, requires of business change, business logic changes, right? This is where a test becomes important because you're still, you're again, testing a new business logic given a certain data set, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the two components that can be added, right? So mm -hmm. um, um, so this was the, the test part and um, related to when you start applying these, right? It's over time, right? So if you have already some ideas, like I just said, right? So. I'm cleaning the data, so drop that NA, right? So mm -hmm. drop that NA. So I would say that if you do drop that NA, you know that the, 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 the rows that you're dropping is not changing the distribution of the data set. Yeah. Or not much, right? Because you consider them you know, liars or bad data, right? But what if the drop NA changes the, the distribution of some of your columns, Yeah. right? You want to be aware of this, right? 
uh, and again, if you want your, your, your data set, you know, you actually, you have to make sure that your data set is normally distributed to apply, I don't know, Arima, right? Whatever, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So therefore, you want to test potentially in production, not maybe, maybe uh, always, right? But you want to test that your data set looks like, uh, you know, a normal distribution. You can apply one of the tests, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So these things, right, are... Uh, additional work that you put in your hands, pretty much like we do logs, right? So the thing is that we just need to have more and more frameworks that ease these things, right? So, okay, just give me a test for, for the normal distribution of this uh, this value and uh, and validate that is accurate, right? So that's actually where we're heading over time, right? But you cannot do this. You cannot do any of this if you don't create observations. So if you don't create a number of null values, if you don't uh, tell you know somewhere how many rows you have deleted, etc., right? You cannot do this. You cannot apply any checks because you don't have the value. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very interesting. Uh, I would have uh, so many more questions uh, about it. Um, um, but uh, we've been about around uh, an hour and so, and uh, and I know you you have. Uh, you have other meetings. Uh, yeah, everything. I can talk forever too. So I, I guess that we're, we, we can wrap it up now. <laughs> so uh, at the end of the podcast, I have three questions that I like to do. Uh, those are very simple questions. But, uh, but before doing these questions, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show. It, mean, it means a lot for me uh, and I'm sure for everyone who's listening to, uh, to, learn, um, to learn from you. So thanks a lot for, for sharing and, and taking the time to, to coming by. It is very much appreciated. No, man. Actually, uh, this is me to thank you. So, uh, love the questions, love the, uh, I love the the, the, the energy and uh, and the discussion. So, uh, great, great show. So, thanks for having me here. That means a lot to me. My three last questions. The first one is: um, Do you have any tips for someone who is just starting the field? Um. So, in terms of tips, uh, I would say that um, always think you know, the, what comes next, right? So in order to anticipate as much as possible, right? So we're, we're very at the corner of something in IT in data, right? So we see with ChatGPT, with LMs, et cetera, right? So think not outside of the box, but think, you know, two steps ahead, right? So what will happen next and then next, right? Because actually, you know, we work for 40 years, right? Um, I'm halfway there, right? I still have 20 years to work, right? So we need to actually make sure that we have something fun and and um, and um, and, uh, and variable actually to 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 um, uh, to work on, right? So think about that because if you don't do this, you will not be ready when you will need to actually do it, right? So you will be forced, you will have to catch up, etc., and you will be in the second wagon, if not the third or the fourth. All right. Thanks a lot for for these uh, those great advices. Um, do you have, if someone wants to know more about you or reach out, do you have social that you prefer, or do you have uh, um, your books that we can find, or what are your resources that we can find on the yeah. internet? So uh, there are a few. So there is uh, on Twitter and Nudsab. So and uh, three O's uh, T S A B. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is also available on the website, kensu.io. 
Um, so on the, the website currently, we can for a year again, I believe uh, you will be able to download the book um, uh, freely. So the book will be uh, released in, on paper in September, but it will be available on, on ebook a little bit earlier. I will be in Big Data London for the European out there. Uh, don't hesitate to, to to bump on me, and uh, so I'm I'm really happy to chat with uh, with like-minded people, especially if you have a beer in hands and you have a second one in the other one that I can drink. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, and uh, so now that I have more more time, that uh, you know, the, the book is done, I still have Kensu, but I think I will have more time. I'm thinking about starting. Uh, uh, Discord and the Twitch channel, you know, going uh, after some uh, some technologies. So stay tuned. I may start it, um, and it's going to be just you know chilling and then look at the data technologies and potentially inviting people like you, Thomas. Why not? That sounds wonderful. I'm looking forward to come on your Twitch channel. Um, <laughs> and uh, last questions, and um, let me emphasize again. Uh, um, thanking you uh, coming on the show. Last question, do you have a message uh, that you'd like to share to the Let's Talk AI community? Um, stick, stick to it, right? stick invite to more it. people, invite more people. So we need, we need the, uh, communities like this. You know, you, you're, you're a great um, host. You have great questions, uh, thought, uh, thought-provoking questions, and that's great. So we need more of this. We need to share afterwards too. So don't hesitate to uh, and you know, invite more people and to reshare, reshare, reshare as much as possible. Please feed the LLMs algorithms out there with new ideas, right? So otherwise, we're gonna become idiots, right? So, um, so that's that's my message. Keep growing. Thanks a lot, Andy, for your time, and I wish you to have a wonderful day. Yeah, likewise. Thanks a lot. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues, or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.